Hello, America. Thanks for joining us. The Carter Report is going to talk today about the Jews, the Arabs, and the fabled city of Jerusalem. Most of us here in the Western world, particularly here in America, are looking at Jerusalem. We are wondering, is there going to be a nuclear war, and is it going to start because of the, the hatred between the Jews and the Arabs? Now many people say to me, why on earth do these two great races, because they are super races, why do they hate each other so much? Well, I can tell you why. We are going to give you today the facts. The Carter Report is going to tell you that it goes back to two beautiful women. It goes back about 4,000 years. Two beautiful women who couldn't and who just wouldn't get along. Then we are going in this program to show you the most significant places in Jerusalem and in Palestine archaeological wonders. Join us today in the Carter Report in Jerusalem. The Carter Report investigates the mysteries of the past as it seeks to interpret amazing predictions concerning our future. John Carter, scholar, writer, and traveler, invites you to join him as he unlocks mankind's most valuable treasure. Now firstly, what I want to do is this. I want to show you the origin of the Jews and the Arabs. And we're going to turn to the book of beginnings, to the book of Genesis. And I'd like you folk to take a copy tonight that we've already supplied to you. Uh, I'd like you to take a copy of the book of Genesis and turn with me, let me see, Genesis chapter 21. Please turn to it. Take your time, but I want you to see these things this evening. And I'm delighted to see so many people here in this tremendous theater down here in Texas. Genesis chapter 21. Have you got it there? Genesis, the 21st chapter. The Bible says, And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah, as he had spoken. Now, Sarah was the wife of Abraham. And then verse 2 says, for, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. She was 90 years of age, and Abraham was 100. Then it says, verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And verse 5 says, Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. The word Isaac means he laughs. And I guess everybody must have been laughing about this. Could you imagine, my friend, having a baby when you were 90 years of age? Imagine having to get up in the night, in, the, in a cold night, and change the baby, or, or feed the baby, look after the baby, when you're 90 or 100 years of age? Now, the interesting thing is this, that this was not Abraham's first son. He'd already had a son by an Egyptian woman, and her name was Hagar. And I'm going to turn over here now. Let me see. I think it's Genesis chapter 16. Would you please follow me? Genesis chapter 16. And this is the story about this other son, and this is where all the trouble started between the Jews and the Arabs. It says, Now Sarai, or Sarah, 
Abraham's wife had borne him no children. This was some years back. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And uh, you see, she had no children, but she did have this servant girl, this slave girl. And verse 3 says, Then Sarah, or Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And then verse 15 says, So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Now, here it is. Let me tell you about it. Here it is. Let me see if I can find that passage again because I'm going, yes, here it is. Verse 9. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let me tell you the story. Here you've got Hagar. She's an Egyptian. She's the slave girl. And she bears to Abraham a son. And then he's the first son. And then the years roll by. Abraham is now 100 years of age. And everybody says it's impossible for him to have a son. But his wife, his first wife and his real wife, Sarah, has a son and calls his name Isaac. And so Abraham now has got two sons, two sons coming from two different women, and this is where all the big family feud really starts in the land of Palestine. Now coming back now to where is it now? Genesis, here it is, Genesis 21. Please turn with me to Genesis 21 and verse 9 and 10 it says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, that was Ishmael, whom she'd born to Abraham scoffing, scoffing at her son Isaac. And verse 10 it says, Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. Get rid of them both. For the son of this bondwoman, this Egyptian woman, shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Now I'm going to come over here to the blackboard and we're going to put up exactly how it worked out in the family and where the Jews came from and where the Arabs came from. Now, at the top of the tree, you've got the father of us all, as the Bible calls him. His name is Abraham. Abraham, the Bible calls him the father of the faithful, and the Arabs call him the friend of God. Abraham had two sons. He had two wives, too. Later on, he had a few more. But one woman was Hagar, and she was an Egyptian. And the other one was uh, Sarah. Her original name was Sarai, but Sarah means a princess. And from this woman here came Isaac. Isaac. And that means he laughs. He laughs. And then over here you've got Hagar, and she had a son, and his name was Ishmael. Ishmael. Now here is the point. From Isaac came, here it is, from Isaac came the Jews, and from Ishmael came the Arabs. And so Abraham is the father of the Arabs, and he is also the father of the Jews. But there was bitter, awful animosity between these two women. 
between Hagar and Sarah. And uh, this animosity was passed on to their two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and the animosity was then passed on to the Arabs and to the Jews. And this great animosity that exists in the world today between these two great tribes, the Jews and the Arabs, goes back thousands of years. It goes back 4,000 years back to two women who couldn't get along in a camp. Two women in the same kitchen. That was the problem. Now, today, ladies and gentlemen, the Arabs on the whole, besides the Texans, the Arabs have got the oil and the Jews have got the money. And one of the main reasons why there is so much contention in the Middle East is because of this old family feud that started back in the tents of Abraham 4,000 years ago. Now the Bible tells me God worked out a scheme to bring peace to the human race and peace to the Arabs and peace to the Jews. Now let me come over here to the blackboard again and let me talk for a moment now about the great peacemaker who was going to come. The Bible says that through Abraham, through Sarah, through Isaac, through the Jews would come the Messiah. And in the Scriptures, the Messiah, ladies and gentlemen, here in Texas, Messiah is called the Prince of Peace. And the Bible says that when the Prince of Peace came, it was going to be a wonderful thing because through him, the Arabs and the Jews would become true brothers and through these great races, peace would come to the human race. And tonight we're going to talk about the great prophecies that predicted the coming of the Messiah and we're going to tell you why Jerusalem will never see peace again until the Messiah comes the second time. He's already come the first time, but the Bible says there'll never be peace in Jerusalem and there'll never be peace in this old world until people accept the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Now, what I want to do is this, and you're going to find this an incredible journey. I want to take you now to the most significant places, archaeological sites in the Holy Land or Palestine. On the screen, is, you can see on our giant screens, this is the, the temple site, the old site of the Jewish temple. That beautiful building you can see on the screen is the Dome of the Rock one of the most sacred spots as far as the Muslims are concerned. Beautiful place. Old Israel, my friend, even though it is a beautiful place, even though we still call it the Holy Land, is a place that is just filled with tension. Wherever you go, as you can see on the screen, you see the soldiers because little Israel is a little island surrounded by a great sea of Arab hatred. The Jews loved Jerusalem because they believed that God gave that city to them. They believe that they are the children of the promise, and the Bible indicates that this is so. But of course, the Arabs also believe the same thing because if you go and talk to the Arabs, they will say that they are the descendants of Father Abraham, and they should inherit the land of Palestine. And then when you go and talk to the Jews, they will tell you exactly the same. The Bible tells me that this problem will never be solved until both of these great nations come to the place where they acknowledge Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The person, of course, 
who is the Prince of Peace. Let's walk just for a little while around the streets of Jerusalem. There is the Western Wall. For many years that has been called the Wailing Wall because this is where the Jews would come and wail for their sins and pray for the coming of the Messiah. Jerusalem is a fascinating place. It is so cosmopolitan. It is filled with people from every race under heaven. It is an exciting place to go to the old city of Jerusalem. You see, um, the Arabs are there with their merchandise, as you can see on the screen. And also, uh, you have some of this exquisite craftsmanship done by the Arabs. And uh, it's a great place to go for a bargain, a great place to go as a tourist. But particularly, my friend, Jerusalem is a great place for the archaeologists to go to because, of course, it is the home of three great religions. It is the home of the Jew. It is the home of the Arab. And also, in a spiritual sense, it is the home of the Christian. Right on the screen now, you can see the splendid Dome of the Rock. We have very, very, very strong archaeological evidence that this is Mount Moriah, and this is the spot where Abraham was told to go and offer up his son Isaac. You know the story from Sunday school days. God said to Abraham, I want you to take this boy, this boy of promise, this special boy through whom the Messiah is going to come, and I want you to go and offer him up as a burnt sacrifice. And the Bible tells us that Abraham took this boy to Mount Moriah and he placed him upon the, the tablet, upon the great uh, altar of stone and he was about to sacrifice his boy when all of a sudden a voice said to him, Abraham, don't you do this. Look behind you. And he looked behind him and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And ever since those days, Mount Moriah has been a sacred place to the Jews and also to the Arabs and to the Christians. To the Arab, Jerusalem is very, very sacred because this is the spot they believe where Muhammad went to heaven. They believe that the great prophet was caught up in a fiery chariot and taken home to heaven. And they have built right here on the Dome of the Rock this magnificent building. This picture on the screen right here on the giant screen is inside the Dome of the Rock, a magnificent place. Once again inside the Dome of the Rock, you can see those magnificent uh, tapestries. This picture here, friend, is not just a white spot on the screen. This is the actual rock itself. This is the rock, they believe, where Abraham came and placed his boy. And uh, on this very rock, Solomon's temple was once built about 3,000 years ago. And later on in the days of Jesus, or just before the days of Jesus, this is where King Herod built that magnificent temple. That was one of the wonders of the age. Great place. On the screen, the Via Dolorosa. They will tell you along that very spot Jesus Christ walked 1900 years ago when he carried his cross to Calvary. We know today, of course, that the buildings have been built up many, many feet above the, the old actual Roman roads, but this is approximately the place. And uh, on Good Friday, it is a great place where the Christians go and they commemorate the death of Jesus Christ when Jesus died there 
2,000 years ago. We're going to take you now, friend, away from Jerusalem, and we are going to take you down to one of the lowest spots on the face of the earth. We are going to go down to the city of Jericho or the city of palm trees. Of course, Jericho is a very wonderful place as far as archaeology is concerned because when the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt, they had to come up this way. And as they came up this way, they were confronted by this great fortress city, the city of Jericho. Now, modern Jericho is a great place to go to. Because up in Jerusalem, it can be absolutely freezing. It can be ever so cold. And you go down about 20 miles and you descend 3,000 feet. Up in Jerusalem, it can be freezing cold. And uh, down in Jericho, the people can be sitting out in the sun sipping orange juice. Magnificent place. There's Jerusalem the morning I left. Five o'clock in the morning, freezingly cold the sleet snow falling, drove 20 miles, and we were down into a tropical climate. It is called the city of palm trees. Now, I want you to notice very carefully on the screen, these are some of the walls of old Jericho. The Bible says that the children of Israel, when they left the land of Egypt in 1450 B.C., they came up here. And God, by a miracle, the Bible says, caused the walls of Jericho to fall down. There on the screen, you can see the mound of Jericho. You can see the modern city of Jericho. And you can see a few people just wandering over those very ancient ruins. Jericho, like the rest of Israel, is a place that is filled with tension. And people are just scared, just wondering what is going to happen next. Going down from the Jordan River, we now come down to the world's lowest point, and we come down to the old site of the Dead Sea, and this takes you also down to the place where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran. This is a very, very interesting stretch of water, and I want to come over here to the blackboard and put up for you now a little sketch of the River, uh, river Jordan, and then we're also going to put up for you the Dead Sea. There is the Sea of Galilee, only 13 miles long. It's not really a sea, it's only a little lake. Uh, 13 miles long, about 7 or 8 miles wide. The River Jordan runs down, what's left of it, and then it comes down to the Dead Sea, which is shaped something like that. It is 47 miles long, 13 miles across, 1,300 feet below sea level, and itself, it is 1,300 feet deep, and it is absolutely full of salt. Therefore, when you get in the Dead Sea, even if you want to, to sink, you can't sink because the water just, just lifts you up and it buoys you up. One would think that the Dead Sea would be a very unattractive spot, but actually it's one of the most beautiful lakes in the whole wide world. There you can see on the screen some of my friends and the film crew just walking along there, and you can see the salt, that heavy salt, right down the southern part of the Dead Sea. Archaeologists believe you have the old site of Sodom and Gomorrah. Great place to go swimming. As I said, you can't sink. It's a great place to learn to swim because you just can't go under even if you wanted to. You notice this lady here, she's gone into the Dead Sea, and she's got some of this black gunk and she's put it all over her body. They say it makes a person look beautiful when they take it off. 
maybe the contrast is so great from what was and what is yet to be. There out in the Dead Sea, you have these great big blocks. They look like icebergs out there. They're not icebergs. They're actually big blocks of salt out there in the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is composed 28% salt. Interesting stretch of water. What I should show you now, and, and in later lectures I'm going to talk about this more fully, I'd like to show you where they have found the remains of a great civilization down here at a spot right down south, on the southeastern corner of the Dead Sea. And maybe if we can zoom in here, and I can try to pick this point up here. There you have the Dead Sea. Whoops, let me get another piece of chalk. This will do nicely. There you have the Dead Sea. This area down here has become filled in since the days of the Romans. Back there in the days of the Romans, this was quite dry. Right here on this peninsula of land, there is an old cultic site by the name of Babedra. Archaeologists down there have discovered the remains of 500,000 tombs. Would you believe it? I know it seems an incredible number, but it's true, because I have explored all the way through this area down here. Then you come down a little further south, just about there, and there is a city by the name of Numira. And that city is covered by ash six feet high. One thing is absolutely certain, there must have been some tremendous fire that wiped out that area. Archaeologists on the whole believe that right down in that area, you have the remains of the old Bible cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. I have actually let the ash run through my fingers. I've picked out little pieces of human bone that go, uh, that go right back to the days of the patriarchs. And one thing is certain, ladies and gentlemen, the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, which is recorded in the book of Genesis, cannot be dismissed as fiction. We believe today that we have seen the evidence. Now, this, this picture here, this doesn't look much of a picture, but it's really quite exciting. I was reading through the, through the Bible, and I came upon a text in the book of Kings that spoke about King Abimelech. And it said that he was crowned under a certain big stone. My friend, when I got there, they had just unearthed that stone. It started to give me goosebumps because as I came away from Israel, I was saying, not only is the Bible right about Egypt, not, as, uh, not only is it right about great cities and great temples and great kings, but it's even right about stones. It is so accurate. And this stone that you can see on the screen is the very stone. There it is from a far shot, the one right in the middle. You can see it right there in the middle. That is the stone that is mentioned concerning King Abimelech. It is only a little thing, but it's in the little things that you can see the remarkable accuracy of the Bible. You know, as I have wandered around these places, I have come back, you know, just dazed and amazed because the evidence that I have seen has, has overwhelmed me. And I've come home and I've said, the Bible is right, the Bible is right, the Bible is right. You've got to believe it. And you've got to believe it because of the historical evidence. Absolutely. You know, it's overwhelming. I want you to notice very carefully now this tablet on the screen. Now, this is not the world's best picture, but you can see what I'm talking about. Look carefully on the screen, and you can pick out there very carefully the words Pilate, P-I-L, 
A-T-U-S. And of course, this is talking about the pilot who had Jesus put on the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, skeptics have said, you can't believe these stories. I'm here to tell you something tonight. I'm here to tell you that the great facts of history, uh, of Christianity, are absolutely solid, and you can believe them. They're historically accurate. And uh, here we've got the Pilate inscription, which actually mentions the name of Pilate himself. You know, I am forced to believe the story because the story is obviously true. And I'm going to take you now to the Jewish temple. The Jewish temple was built by King Herod, and this was a magnificent, a huge building. Uh, this is the Western Wailing Wall that you can see on the screen there, and some of my friends, the Jewish rabbis standing there. Those stones are tremendous stones. Those stones are about 30 feet long, and they're five feet through, and they're three feet high, and they weigh 70 tons. Let me come over now to the blackboard, and let me draw for you just a little map of the city of Jerusalem, and then I'm going to show you where the, where the temple site fits into it all. Now, we're running out of blackboard. That always happens with me. Now, here we have roughly the city of Jerusalem. The temple was over here on the eastern side. It was a magnificent building. That temple site itself, the foundation, wait for it. The temple foundation was 1,500 feet long, 950 feet across, and it towered up into the blue sky in parts 180 feet, 180 feet, and was composed of these great massive stones that you can see on the screen. Now, they look like little bricks there, but those stones are 30 feet long, and they're 5 feet through, and they're 3 feet high. Some of the stones are even bigger than that. Some of the stones, the foundation stones, were 60 feet long six feet high, and ten feet through. Little wonder, my friend, that the Jews believed that this great building was going to last for, for eternity. And they took a tremendous amount of pride, and rightly so, in the Jewish temple. Jesus Christ came along to that temple. Look at those stones. Just have a look at those massive stones that made up the foundation. You can see some of them there on the screen. Now, this picture here, I, I would like you to try to see this one. I have my friend Johann Aldeld standing there. He is a, he's a Jewish scholar, a very close personal friend of mine, standing here with this lady archaeologist. And they're holding there a, a picture of the Jewish temple. Most people think the temple was just a little building. It was a huge building made out of these huge stones. And Jesus came along there, and he said, you see this tremendous temple, Jesus said. Have a look at this tremendous temple. Jesus said, the whole thing is going to be thrown down. And the Jews laughed at him because they believed that that temple was going to last till the end of the world. I want to turn now over here to Matthew chapter 24. and I.